When there's something going on inside your home, something paranormal, something you can't explain, who do you go to for help? When others may brush you off, call you crazy, who can you turn to? Well, for many years, it was Ed and Lorraine Warren that you wanted on the scene. Two of the world's most well-known paranormal investigators, seekers of the supernatural, Many know the couple from the Conjuring franchise, which is the most successful horror franchise in box office history. And there's no wonder why. The Warrens worked on some of the most extreme cases ever documented. Cases where priests became possessed. Cases where people were physically attacked. Cases where spirits don't just haunt a house, they visibly want to destroy it. This is Avery After Dark, and as always, I am your host, Avery Ross. Today we are talking about Ed and Lorraine Warren. The husband and wife duo investigated over 10,000 paranormal cases. When everyone else was running out of the haunted house, they were running in. The couple gained worldwide fame with the films, but the two were very well known before Hollywood jumped on the Warren train. They founded the New England Society of Psychic Research and started their very own occult museum filled with some of the most haunted and cursed objects in the world. So how does one get to this place of chasing ghosts, talking to the dead? Let's go back in time a bit and see, because their story is pretty fascinating. Lorraine Warren grew up in Connecticut. Her family lived in an affluent area, and she attended an all-girls Catholic school in town. When she was nine, she had her first encounter with the supernatural. In school one afternoon, the nuns directed all the students outside to plant little trees outside in the dirt for Arbor Day. As soon as she planted the small tree, her eyes were immediately directed upwards, where she had a vision of the tree huge and full-grown, a glimpse into the future, a psychic vision. From there, she began to see and sense auras, meaning some auras were brighter or darker than others. She couldn't help but notice that one of the nuns at her school had an aura that was much brighter than the mother superior at the school. This was in the 1930s, and these were nuns. So they didn't take Lorraine's visions very well. The nuns actually told her that what she was doing, the things that she was seeing, were sinful. And they shipped her off to a weekend retreat where she had to pray in silence for days. Unknowingly, three blocks away was Ed Warren. Ed was born into a Catholic family in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and growing up, he only lived a few streets over from Lorraine. But the two had no idea. Ed had his first paranormal experience fairly young. His family lived in a house rented from an older woman who was quite unpleasant and didn't seem to really like Ed. She died when Ed was five years old, and a couple days later, Ed claimed her spirit appeared in his closet one night. And apparently, her ghost was just as unpleasant in death as she was when she was alive. This got to be really wearing for him, and he would avoid being in his room or at home. As a kid, he would try to stay outside and play as long as he could. It finally got to the point where Ed confided in his father. But Ed's father was a state trooper and didn't really believe in the supernatural. When young Ed came to him and told him about what he was seeing, his father really wanted to try and find a logical explanation for what was going on. But he never found one. And from there, Ed was visited by more and more spirits, including his father's sister, who was a nun. If you can see the nun theme here, it's really interesting, the connection to the films, where the nun is one of the spirits that the Warrens are haunted by, and she is so terrifying. 
Ed started to talk to his aunt's spirit and told her that he was thinking of becoming a priest when he grew up. Ed claimed that his aunt told him that he wouldn't be a priest per se, but in his career he would work with priests, consulting them for help. Through time, Ed's fears subsided a bit, and as he got older, his communication and visits from the dead became his life passion. In 1943, Ed and Lorraine, the two like-minded souls, met while Ed was working as an usher in a local theater, and Lorraine came in with her mother one day. Lorraine said that when she met Ed, she knew and sensed the two would be together for their entire lives. From there, they were inseparable. A year later, Ed enlisted into the United States Navy, where he served with the Armed Navy Guard and was only deployed for four months before his ship sunk in the North Atlantic. In 1945, while Ed was on survivor's leave after the sinking, he and Lorraine got married as soon as they both turned 18 years old, and they later had a daughter, Judy. Ed eventually left the Navy and then came back to attend art school. The two would travel around and sell Ed's paintings to make a living, and in their off time, they began to investigate haunted homes. Lorraine was apparently more of the skeptic at the time. Although she was gifted, it was Ed that was really drawn to these paranormal investigations. Ed would track down a home that was notoriously haunted, but as you may guess, it isn't easy to just walk up to someone's door and ask for a tour because you've heard that there are ghosts inside you probably get a lot of doors slammed in your face. Instead, Ed would park himself outside of the home and paint it, then approach the homeowners with the sketch as a friendly way to get invited inside. And this worked. Home after home, Ed and Lorraine would investigate and report their findings to the homeowners. And as you can imagine, word quickly spread of the two. Lorraine, iffy at the beginning of this, eventually found a purpose in the work. Her role in these investigations was as a trance medium and clairvoyant. Trance mediumship is where, through a state of altered consciousness, she would channel spirits in the dead. Someone who has the gift of being clairvoyant will see events in the future or beyond normal sensory contact, i.e. what she had been doing since she was a young girl. Ed's role was as a demonologist, which was focused around demons as well as performing exorcisms. He was one of only seven religious demonologists in the nation. Ed and Lorraine had similar morals and believed that spirits are all around us all the time. Ed said, quote, they are all around us right now. They believed that diabolical forces are formidable. These forces are eternal and all around us. And their message to the world was, the fairy tale is real, God exists, and so does the devil. As for us here on Earth, your destiny hinges upon which we elect to follow. During these investigations, initially, they worked to drive spirits completely out of the home and expel demons. As their reputation grew, religious authorities began reaching out to them for help. The two were Catholics, so they began to provide their help to those who needed it. Which is ironic, because... When Lorraine was growing up, I mentioned she was punished by the nuns for her gifts. And years later, these kinds of people were reaching out, asking for help. Authorities repeatedly called upon the two to control some of the most profane outbreaks of diabolical phenomenon in the country. The team was often asked to assist in numerous police investigations as well, involving satanic rituals, 
and they were in high demand by hundreds of colleges and universities to speak on the subject of the supernatural. Lorraine often stated that Ouija boards, tarot cards, and psychics are often the entry point for many of these beings. Their reputations built with time, and in 1952, they were getting request after request. They were slowly building their team of investigators. It wasn't just Ed and Lorraine and their daughter Judy tagging along. It was becoming a full-blown team. This is when they started the New England Society of Psychic Research. And this is the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. It wasn't until 1965 that their work also shifted. This change was brought forth when they encountered a spirit of a young girl named Cynthia. Her ghost was desperately lost and searching for her mother. As I mentioned before this, the Warrens' goal was to drive out spirits and get rid of them altogether. But after Cynthia, Lorraine and Ed began to really look at some of these spirits who weren't malicious. They were just lost. They were ghosts who needed their help. The Warrens didn't want to just get rid of them. They wanted to help these souls find peace and go into the light, which is really interesting, the side of the spiritual realm. Not every spirit is unwanted or unwelcome. I know people who feel they have a spirit in their house, their apartment, or workplace, and they like it. They find their presence comforting or protective. Maybe they believe it's a loved one. So this is the point where the Warrens' investigations changed. Each time they worked on a new case, it was completely different. During these investigations, one topic I do want to cover is money and what they were charging. The couple only reportedly took travel expenses and were not known for taking consult fees or money for the services that they provided. Over time, they obviously made good money because they were booking numerous engagements, books, and eventually movie deals in later years. But with these families and individuals who needed their help, they only charged for travel, which is pretty fair in my opinion. Nowadays, almost any and every medium charges at least a few hundred dollars, and that's just for a consult. At least, I've seen some charging thousands, which is crazy to me. Not that some mediums are not gifted, that's just a lot of money. Over time, the Society for Psychic Research grew, and it became bigger and bigger, and they had people of all kinds reaching out for help. Let's talk about the science aspect of this, because... I believe from an outsider or non-believer stance, they believe that paranormal investigators will go into a haunted house, perform some juju, chant, make a scene and all that, and then leave. But that usually isn't the case, at least not with the Warrens. These investigations were extremely scientific in nature. They wanted evidence, not just a feeling. Investigations will use a variety of electronic devices to collect evidence supporting the existence of paranormal activity. So no, they aren't just yelling into the void, this place is haunted. It's much more than that. Some of the devices used in this research are EMF meters, which are measurements of ambient electromagnetic fields such as sensors or probes, thermometers, cameras which capture and record thermographic night vision, infrared cameras, and audio recorders. The Warrens also conducted numerous interviews with the victims of these hauntings, what they have experienced, what they have seen, what they've felt, as well as interviewing individuals who they believe were showing signs of a demonic possession. Were they behaving differently, speaking differently, 
When an individual is possessed, it's not uncommon for their voice, pitch, everything to change to that of whatever is possessing them. Another part of the Warrens' investigations were the research into the history of homes and the land. Who lived there? What happened before? Ghost hunting itself dates back to the 19th century, and over time, investigations have become more scientific and evidence-based, which is pretty darn cool. And now a quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. Through their thousands of investigations, the Warrens came across so many items and objects from these hauntings. So they started an occult museum to house and contain these spirits. If they had a case where an item or object was considered to be possessed or haunted, they had to do something with it. They couldn't leave it at the home, so they started the museum. Many of these items were demonically possessed and had to be locked up for the protection of others. So we have talked about the Warrens. Let's break down some of their most infamous and chilling cases that they worked on. And this first one is still locked in their occult museum to this day. And that would be Annabelle. A student nurse named Donna was gifted a Raggedy Ann doll from her mother on her 28th birthday. Donna loved the doll, and she brought it home one day where she lived with a roommate, another nurse named Annie. And almost immediately, the two began to experience unexplainable things around the apartment. Most glaringly, the doll would move on its own accord, meaning they would prop it up in the living room, then turn around for it to be gone. One day, Donna came home to find the doll locked in her bedroom with the door shut, and it got creepier. The two nurses began to find these strange notes around the apartment that read, quote, help me. And even stranger, these notes were left on parchment paper, which neither kept in the home. So the doll is moving on its own. They don't have any idea where these notes are coming from. One day, Angie's boyfriend named Lou was in the apartment while Donna was out and heard a commotion in her bedroom, almost like someone was breaking in. He went in to check and only found the doll, Annabelle, lying face down on the floor. There's another report that the doll attacked him, leaving scratch marks down his chest. And this is what prompted the women to call in a medium. So they hold this seance and during it, the medium said the doll was being inhabited by the spirit of a dead seven-year-old named Annabelle Higgins. Even scarier, Annabelle's body was found earlier on the site where the very apartment stood. The medium tells them that the spirit really just wants to be loved and cared for. So the roommates said, okay, we'll keep her, and they felt bad for her. But the activity got worse and much more intense, and it didn't feel like the doll wanted love. It felt like the doll was malicious and evil. And this is when Ed and Lorraine were called in. They said the biggest mistake was believing that the spirit deserved sympathy. The Warrens found the doll was demonically possessed and took it from the roommates. They believed that there was a demonic force in search of a human host within the doll, not just a friendly ghost. The Warrens said regarding Annabelle, quote, Spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys. They possess people. An inhuman spirit can attach itself to a place or object, and this is what occurred in the Annabelle case. 
This spirit manipulated the doll and created the illusion of it being alive in order to get recognition. Truly, the spirit was not looking to stay attached to the doll, it was looking to possess a human host." End quote. They believed that the doll scratching Lou was the mark of the beast. The Warrens ordered an exorcism of the apartment and took Annabelle away. On the drive home, they placed the doll in the back seat and felt that they shouldn't take any major highways to the museum, only back roads, because of the doll's violent nature. Strangely enough, on that drive home, the car's brakes either stalled or failed several times, almost causing Ed and Lorraine to crash the car. The doll would move on its own once they got home too, appearing in different rooms in the house. Eventually, she was locked into that encased box, where she still sits today, and on the case is a sign that reads, positively, do not open. The next haunting is another infamous one, and that is the case of the Perrin family. In 1970, in Harrisville, Rhode Island, Roger and Carolyn Perrin moved into a home with their five children. And soon after, things began happening within the home. Objects would go missing or move on their own, like a broom, and Carolyn would hear things in the kitchen when no one else was home. She'd clean the kitchen only to walk in and find a pile of dirt on the floor. Soon enough, the children began saying that they were seeing ghosts around the home. Some of them were nice, and some of them were mean. The family would also get these wafts of rotting flesh, and shockingly, the spirits would cause the beds to rise up off the floor. Carolyn looked into the history of the home and found that the same family owned it for eight generations, and many of them died under mysterious circumstances and some horrible deaths. Many of the children that lived on that land drowned in a nearby creek. One was murdered and one hanged themselves in the attic. The activity got worse, and the Warrens were called in multiple times, actually. They found the home was reportedly haunted by a 19th century witch named Bathsheba Sherman, along with many other spirits, but this was the worst. Andrea Perrin, one of those five children, said, quote, whoever the spirit was, she perceived herself to be the mistress of the house, and she resented the competition my mother posed for that position. And based on the Warrens' research, Bathsheba Sherman was a real person who lived in the house in the 1800s and cursed the land so that any inhabitants would suffer pain, anguish, and ultimately early death. She was also rumored to be a Satanist and was rumored to have murdered a neighbor's child, although there was never a trial. Carolyn told the Warrens about an incident that happened a few years earlier that would point to the witch. She said she had been lying on the sofa and all of a sudden felt a piercing type of pain in her calf. Then the muscle began to spasm. Upon examination, she noticed a puddle of blood at the exact point of impact. She checked for bees or anything else that could have caused the puncture in her leg, but found nothing. When Carolyn told the Warrens about this story in conjunction with the tale of Bathsheba Sherman, who had been suspected of killing an infant with a knitting needle, Lorraine suggested that Bathsheba could have taken the needle with her into the afterlife and used it to stab Carolyn in the calf. From that point on, Lorraine Warren referred to the demonic presence at the parent house as Bathsheba. As I mentioned, the Warrens were called to the home multiple times. During one of these visits, they conducted a seance, and at one point, Carolyn became possessed. 
speaking in tongues, and rising from the ground in her chair. Otherworldly and terrifying. And now another quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. During the seance where Carolyn became possessed, Andrea, that daughter, claims that she was secretly watching and saw all of this and said that, quote, I thought that I was going to pass out. Andrea said that my mother began to speak in a language not of this world and a voice not her own. Her chair levitated and she was thrown across the room. After this seance, Roger kicked the Warrens out, worried about his wife's mental stability. According to Andrea, the family continued to live in the house due to financial instability until they were able to move out in 1980. The home is still standing in Rhode Island and new occupants have reported having similar experiences as the parents. One man even left the house screaming, leaving his tools, car, clothes, and he never went back. Many argue that the home is still very much haunted and that witch is still there roaming the property. This case inspired the 2013 film The Conjuring, which Lorraine was a consultant on. The parents were very supportive of the film, and like I said, their daughter Andrea wrote her book about her experiences in the home, entitled House of Darkness, House of Light. Next up is the infamous Amneville Horror. In 1974, in Amneville, New York, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot his parents and four siblings in their home while they slept in their beds. They lived in an affluent part of Long Island, and their Dutch colonial home had a swimming pool, a boathouse, and inside there were life-size portraits of the family hung on the walls. Neighbors were shocked. It was such an evil and unthinkable crime. And a year later, a couple named George and Kathleen Lutz bought the home at a discounted price of only $80,000, and their family moved in. And get this, gang, with their purchase, that also included most of the DeFeo's furniture. Yikes. It's not bad enough that you're living in this house of tragedy, but you're moving in the home basically as it stood when the murders took place? Can you imagine? So how long did the family last there? 28 days, not even a month, and they booked it out of there so fast. The family was reportedly tormented and maliciously terrorized by a demonic entity in the home. In May 1975, the Warrens went in with a full investigation, along with news crews who were really interested in documenting what was going on in the home. Was it really haunted? Was it really cursed? Well, the crew was in for a real treat when an infrared time-lapse camera picked up the image of a boy. This boy wasn't alive. It was a demonic entity standing at the bottom of the home staircase. The Warrens believed that given the violent history of the home, the house was inhabited by this demonic entity. Another infamous haunting was the Enfield haunting in England. The family at the center of the haunting was the Hodgsons. In 1977, Janet, the family's 11-year-old daughter, started seeing and hearing strange things. One night, she sat up in bed to see her dresser fly across the room. And things got more intense. The family would hear knocking coming from the walls. They initially thought it was someone breaking in, so they called police, but they could never find anyone. One officer who arrived one day witnessed a chair elevate and fly across the room on its own. And multiple reporters in the area who investigated reported seeing similar things. 
paranormal investigators from all over began to call the family, and they wanted to see for themselves. But many got there and said that Janet was probably just making it up. The kids were just making it up. The Warrens eventually got on the case and saw it much differently. When many others didn't, they believed Janet and felt a demonic presence was at play here. Strangely, two years after the activity first started, it stopped without any explanation. But overall, it was a pretty terrifying case, especially for Janet. And the cases that I have covered here are just a few of the 10,000 cases that the Warrens worked on. So as you may guess, and probably know, as comes with any paranormal investigator, the Warrens had their skeptics. These skeptics claimed that some of the hauntings that the Warrens worked on or investigated, including Amneville, didn't even happen. They had just been made up. Many of these skeptics obviously don't believe in the supernatural and think that the Warrens were reinforcing people's, quote, delusions and confuse the public about legitimate scientific methodology. Y'all already know that I'm a believer, just like many of you are. Even if you aren't, that's fine in my book. Believe what you want to believe. But I do get angered when people throw around the word delusional and call people crazy in response to someone sharing their experience. It's really damaging and hurtful to label someone as delusional when you haven't walked a day in their shoes. It sets a dangerous precedent and makes others afraid to come forward with their experiences for fear of being bullied for it. I do, on the other hand, think it makes you close-minded to shut down someone else's experience and label them as delusional just because you don't believe or you don't understand. There was also a group of skeptics that went through and toured the Warren's Occult Museum and said that they thought that Ed and Lorraine were really nice, but the museum didn't feel evil. The items inside just like didn't feel possessed to them. Real scientific conclusion there. <laughs> I'm not sure what they were wanting the Warrens to do, bring Annabelle out to tap dance for them. I don't know. Those who advocate for the Warrens, the families that say the Warrens really helped them without charge, believe that they were the real deal and argue that many of their supernatural disturbances in their homes were already going on long before the Warrens were brought onto the investigation. So you can decide for yourself if you believe the Warrens were the real deal or not. They did continue their work for decades investigating hauntings all around the country a notably creepy spot to mention, Dudley Town. The two toured the cursed town and they found it to be possessed by a demonic entity and also believed that Dudley Curse was very real. I covered all the weirdness of Dudley Town on TikTok and the podcast, so be sure to check that out. The Warrens dedicated their life to their work and firmly held on to the belief that demonic forces are likely to possess those who have no faith. Ed died in 2006 after years of declining health, and Lorraine died in 2019 peacefully in her sleep, and they are both buried in Shepney Cemetery in Monroe, Connecticut. Today, the Warrens' work continues on through the New England Psychic Research Society. Judy, the Warrens' daughter, married a man named Tony Spera, and he has continued the Warrens' work through the society. Tony actually worked with Ed and Lorraine for more than 30 years in their investigations and is the director of the society and head curator at the Occult Museum. When I posted a story on the Warrens on TikTok, 
I got quite a few commenters saying that they met the Warrens through events and said that they were both very nice and informative. And also a few commenters said they had been to some of the Psychic Society's events and found them to be very knowledgeable in the field of the supernatural. So if you want more information on all of this, I suggest checking out the New England Society for Psychic Research website. They have case files on all the hauntings they worked on. It's very interesting. And all of this really makes me wonder, who will be the next supernatural pioneers? Who knows? Maybe it'll be you. If you want all these episodes ad-free, join the Avery After Dark Patreon. I'm linking that in the show notes. And if you find yourself needing more, click the link in the show notes to watch my new series, Tell Me a Scary Story, which is three short scary stories that will leave you with goosebumps. Until next episode, stay spooky.